This episode is proudly sponsored by Audible. Visit the link in the show notes for a free 30-day trial and audiobook today. And stay tuned after the show for a special promo from our friends over at the California Dreaming Podcast. Reach Freaks. Thank you for listening to Invisible Choir. This episode contains sensitive material, including graphic depictions of sexual assault, which some listeners may find especially distressing or traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. A 72-hour two-state crime spree leaves behind one of Central Oregon's most gruesome crime scenes and many families reeling from the ripple effects of one man's decision to finally act upon his overpowering urge to kill. Only, the warning signs were there years before, that he was acting out his murderous impulses after studying up on a serial killer that exhibited the exact same M.O. nearly 30 years before, this time on Invisible Choir. She has four, four younger brothers who desperately want their big sister home. Uh, she was still breathing and then she was screaming and I decided to silence her forever. Laura used his hostage's cell phone to recall to record a video of him speaking about what he had done and what he was doing. And number three, I wish the court system and the state of Oregon would just hand him over to me and allow me to administer the death sentence. So I drove it all the way to Salem and I parked it right in front of the mall and there's a note there just in case, hopefully not, but just in case I die. On the evening of Saturday, July 23, 2016, 23-year-old Kaylee Ann Sawyer was enjoying a night out on the town for a friend's bachelorette party near Bend, Oregon. The group had visited various bars in the area, and Kaylee was last seen dancing with the group sometime between 10.30 and 11 o'clock that night. But rather than stay out all night to bar close with the girls, she eventually called her live-in boyfriend Cameron Riemhofer just after midnight at 12.04 to ask him for a ride home. So he picked her up in his car, and the two headed back to their place at the Alpine Meadows apartment complex off Northwest Collegeway Drive next to the Central Oregon Community College campus. The two had arrived back at their apartment sometime around 12.15 that morning, but they had gotten into an argument somewhere along the way, and Kaylee decided that she was going to stay outside a bit until things cooled off. Perhaps go for a short walk to clear her head. So she waited in Cameron's car while he went inside, but after she still hadn't come inside after 10 minutes, Cameron grew concerned and went back to check on Kaylee, but she had already left and was no longer in the car. So Cameron called her and they spoke on and off until 1 o'clock in the morning when she indicated that her phone was about to die. So she told her boyfriend goodbye and hung up. Figuring Kaylee had simply needed some time to cool off, and likely walked back to her best friend's house where her car was parked, or maybe over to her mother's house, Cameron went to bed. But when he awoke the next morning and called Kaylee around 9 a.m., she didn't answer. So after checking in with her friends and family, he quickly learned that no one had seen her. 
that she never made it back to her car. So Cameron did what any concerned boyfriend would and phoned police, unsure of what to do next. Dispatch, how can I help you? Hello? Hi. Um, I'm not sure if this is quite the right number to call. Last night I got home from the bars with my girlfriend and she got upset at me and ran off. Mm-hmm. And I chased her and wasn't able to find her and I still haven't heard from her. Her phone's off. I called all her family and they haven't heard from her, so I'm wondering what you recommend I do. We can put in a call and we can uh, have officers and deputies uh, look for her. Okay. And uh, where was she last seen at? Um, College Way. College in what? Um, Alpine Meadows Apartment Complex. It's like at the top of College Way. In that apartment complex? Yes. In a specific apartment or? In the parking lot. Just in the parking lot? You guys yeah, don't live there? Or? Yes, we live there together. And it was last night? Yeah. About what time? Uh, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. Take up walking or something from this address? Like, she was mad? Yeah, I walked. She would, yeah, she was mad at me, so I walked inside and told her to come meet me, and then when she's like, calm down. And then I went back out in 10 minutes, and she was gone. And I called her a few times, and she said she was walking down the street. And then I guess she said her phone was about to die, and then she, I couldn't get a hold of her after that. I haven't heard from her since. Okay. She took off on foot? Yes. What's her last name? Sawyer. S-A-W-Y-E-R? Yes. First name? Kaylee. K-A-Y-L-E-E. Cameron had already driven over to Kaylee's friend's house where her car was parked, along with her mother's house that morning to see if either had seen or heard from her. He also spoke to Kaylee's father, but they all gave the same response, that they hadn't heard from the 23-year-old. And as news began to spread of her disappearance, it seemed more likely that she had potentially wandered off somewhere and suffered a grave medical emergency, or worse, that someone took her. She's got her phone with her? Uh, she did last I saw her, but it's been dead all day, and I imagine she would charge it. Do you know what carrier it is? Um, it is Verizon. And does she have a vehicle? Is it parked in the parking lot, or...? She has a vehicle. It's parked at her friend's house, and I've been over there and talked to her friend, and she hasn't heard from her either. And the vehicle's still there? Yep. And what's the color make and model? It's a Subaru Impreza, and it's like a dark grayish blue. Do you happen to know the plate on it? Um, I don't. That's fine. And it's parked at a friend's house? Yes. Any idea where she would go, or...? I don't know. All the... I, I figured she'd go where her car was to her best friend or her mom's, and I've been over to both. Talked to her dad, and I just haven't heard anything from anybody knowing this. Okay. Does she go to, like, like a job that she needs to be out of the chemist or anything, or anything like that? Not today. She has work tomorrow at Aubrey Dental. Okay. All right, we'll uh, have an officer get in contact with you. If she gets in contact with you, they'll give us a call back. Okay, will right. do. Thank you. As families across town rose and prepared for Sunday morning church services, one family in particular was running a bit behind schedule. 31-year-old Central Oregon Community College security officer Edwin Lara had just finished up an evening shift at the college a few hours before and was slow to rise. Edwin's wife noted 
that he seemed a bit more disconnected than usual that morning, but chalked up his quiet and reserved behavior to the marital problems the two were having after his wife had discovered he had been having an affair with another woman while she was attending police academy training in California. The two had looked to their faith to repair the near-broken relationship, and Ed would even stop drinking when the two began attending church services regularly. Things were looking up for the couple, but still, something seemed off with his behavior on this day in particular, but his wife Isabel kept her distance, and Edwin and his cousin attended a screening of the horror film Lights Out at a nearby theater that afternoon after church. Growing increasingly more concerned as to her daughter's whereabouts, fearing she hadn't simply gone off somewhere to clear her mind, Kaylee Sawyer's mother calls police to report her daughter missing, and by 7.30 Sunday evening, police have entered Kaylee into the law enforcement's missing persons database, and her parents, desperately seeking answers, reached out to the public for help through local media. She has four, four younger brothers who desperately want their big sister home, and we just contacted everybody and said, please get her face out there. One day goes by and then the next day goes by and pretty soon you, um, you're you working up to, there's a much bigger problem here. Um, and it's hard to process the, the worry. For some reason, she isn't getting in touch with us. And, you know, the only thing I can think of is that somebody is stopping her. And the big concerns, and I think why the police have stepped up the effort so quickly, is she does have a medical issue with seizures. The picture that we use on her flyer. That smile is Kaylee. We're just so thankful for everybody keeping her name out there and sharing her pictures. As Monday morning came and went, Kaylee Sawyer never showed up for her scheduled shift at Aubrey Dental Clinic, something so out of character for the 23-year-old that her parents' hopes quickly began diminishing, all signs indicating that Kaylee was either physically incapacitated somewhere or was being held against her will. Meanwhile, across town, Edwin Lara's wife, Isabel, had had enough of her husband's bizarre behavior. He was late to rise again on Monday morning. As a newly trained Bend police officer, she wondered if he had done or seen something that he shouldn't have, so she confronted him on Monday morning. And when he came out of their bedroom crying and unable to talk at first, she knew that something terrible had happened and that her husband, Edwin, had a secret. A secret that eventually drove her to turn him in to police. Like, do you, can you tell me kind of how this whole thing transpired? Um, I, I, I guess I would start with Saturday. Were you working? No, so Saturday, I didn't work Saturday. So Saturday was normal day he went to work. He did go to work? In the afternoon. So what time does he start normally, or does it change? It's always changing. Okay. So, so he was working night shift that Saturday night and getting off, I think, like 2 or 2.30 in the morning, Sunday. And what time does that uh, have him starting work-ish? I think that day he went in, or he was going to go in around 3 p.m., I think it was. Isabel Ponce Lara sits across from two Deschutes County Sheriff's detectives for her second interview after initially coming forward with information relating to Kaylee Sawyer's disappearance, clarifying precisely what Edwin told her the day before on Monday. Investigators were attempting to determine Edwin's whereabouts and his actions the evening Kaylee went missing in the area he regularly patrolled in the Central Oregon Community College's campus security vehicle. And then you, um, 
What time do you do you remember him coming home? That was it. I don't remember what time he got home. Did you just go to sleep like normal at your own house? Yeah, I go to. I went to sleep. I, for the most part, I feel when he gets home. But that day I didn't. Okay. What time did you wake up? Well, what time did you go to bed, and then what time did you wake so up? So I went to bed, I would say, a little bit after the text message, so I would say closer to midnight. Okay. And do you did you wake up in the night at all? No, I don't remember waking up at all. Okay. Do you remember waking up in the morning? When so, you actually so I woke up around 7.30 to 8 on that Sunday morning. And was he home? Yeah, he was there when I woke up. What was he was he doing as far as, like, was he getting in bed? Was he eating breakfast? Yeah, he was, when I woke up, he was, he was in bed with me. Okay. He was already in bed. Was he yeah, awake? He was, no, he was... Well, we were waking up at the same time, um... Isabel was up exchanging text messages with Edwin about a PowerPoint project he had been working on. She had sent him some recommendations for changes that needed to be made. It seemed a relatively typical and innocuous interaction between the married couple. Isabel then went to bed after the exchange shortly after midnight, around the time Kaylee and Cameron were heading back to their apartment. And though she usually wakes up when Edwin comes into bed after working a graveyard shift, she didn't hear, see, or feel him come to bed early Sunday morning after his shift was scheduled to end at 2.30. Uh, normally when he comes home and, like, is he does he wear his uniform home with him? Does he have a locker at work that he changes into before? Give and take, he usually does bring him when he's going to, like, wash it. Okay. Um, sometimes he does leave it at work. Does he have, like, a locker at work where he leaves? I think, I think they do. Okay. So when he goes to work and, and he's and he come and has a clean uniform, goes to work, does he come in home wearing like just his no, pants or he doesn't come home wearing the uniform. So he has some change of clothes yeah. in his locker that he'll either bring it with him and he has a bag uh-huh. that he'll bring in if he's bringing it that day and it's usually when he wants to wash it because I don't think they have many uniforms I think they only have like one or or one uniform or something like that so he's like washing it so he doesn't like drive in his uniform no no he doesn't okay okay but he does have a locker I think so yeah I don't know if they I don't think they share it or anything but I think they do okay and he drives home so he'll drive to work in his car and then drive their patrol car or their security car, right? Okay. After establishing as best they can Edwin's typical weekend night shift routine, investigators grow a little more direct in their questioning because something was off with his behavior, which is why Isabel is sitting here in the first place, turning him into police. Are you got? Is it? I mean, are you noticing anything weird at all at this point? So yeah. So he was very quiet, like on the way to church. Wasn't saying much. It's unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, at church, he was just very quiet, very just withdrawn. Like he would usually like grab my hand or something. <laughs> was it doing? That? So when we get out of the church. I asked him, "What's wrong with you? What's going on?" And I don't know. You know, I, we've been together for a very long time. I know something's up. Could you get some Kleenex? Yeah. Do you want something to drink? No. 
So it was strong enough for you? You didn't ask him anything about it at that point, though? No, because... So I'm still in training at work. Yeah. It's been stressful. Sure. And it's just been, like, talking about it, like, just in the sense of, like, so what if I don't make it? Or yeah, yeah. Whatnot. So we, we just been... It's been stressful in the sense of just trying to figure out. Sure. So I thought that maybe that's just... It was all together, Part so I didn't, that. I didn't, I didn't push it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I was just like, you know, I'm feeling down to myself. Sure, so absolutely. I would I have thought the same exact thing. I didn't push it. I didn't. Okay. Isabel tells detectives how they finished up at church around noon and then headed home, stopping by a pizza hut restaurant along the way to pick up some pizza for lunch. Edwin then recommended they go see a movie at the theater that evening with his cousin Vinny at 7:45. They took the trip in the couple's jeep while the Nissan Altima that Edwin typically drove to and from work sat parked in the street out front of their home. Okay, does he, is, that's normal, he parks on the street with the Altima? You know what I just thought about right now? He had the windows cracked open and he never did that. Okay. And I asked him about that and he said, oh, it's hot. When you guys go to church and travel around together, do you usually take your car or do you usually take his car? It's give and take, it's never, usually whichever car has gas. Yeah. Really, that's really... Okay. And was he supposed to work on Sunday night? He was okay. supposed to go in... No, not Sunday. Okay. He was supposed to go to work Monday. So he had yet... He had yesterday. Sunday off. He had Sunday off. Okay. And, and then when you guys got home, about what time was it from the movie? After you walked around, did you drop Vinny off? Drop him off. Let's say it was late, like 11, maybe towards yeah. noon, midnight. Yeah. And then you guys, did you go straight home from there? From dropping off, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dropping off, Vinny went home. The couple showered after returning home from the movie around 11.30 p.m. Sunday night, had sex, and then went to bed. When Isabel woke up the next morning, Edwin stayed in the bedroom and slept until well after 10.30. And when he finally came out of their bedroom, Isabel knew that something was up. So he comes out of the room and his eyes were all teary. That's why I'm like, what happened? Tell me what happened. Why? What's wrong? So he sits on the sofa. I turn off the TV and then he just says that. He's like, I, I kill a woman, that's what he said. And I'm like, what do you mean? Then he's like, I hit her with the car. And did he tell you which car? He said the the security, the, the job, the car that they used at the job. And what, and what did you say to that? So I'm like, what do you mean? What, what, what do you mean you hit her and He's like, yeah, I hit her and I panic. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean by you hit her panicking? What did you do? Did did he say, I hit her in a panic? He said, I don't remember exactly the words that he said, but he said something that he hit her with the car yeah. and then he panicked. Okay. So then I asked him, like, that's what I was trying for him to explain to me. So you hit her with the car. That's an accident. Yeah. Why? 
What do you mean you panic? What, what do you mean? And what did he say? He just kept saying I panic and at that point he's already, like he got up and he's already like going into the room and walking back and forth. And I'm not really quite understanding what he's telling me. By the time Edwin had confessed to accidentally killing a young woman to his wife, Kaylee Sawyer's disappearance was already widely known in the area. And Lara mentioned to Isabel directly her name and referenced her as the missing girl. So when, when he's walking, he walks to your bedroom? Or? Yeah, he, like, he walks to your bedroom. Um, I think at some point I, I followed him there and I'm like, explain to me what, what happened. Um, and then he's like, then he's like, okay, so then he says at some point, I don't remember if it was back in the living room or went up because he was just walking back and forth. He said that he hit her with the car, the car at work. And I asked him, well, where is there any signs that you hit her or what? And then he said that it was because of the grill, that no, there was no signs. And then I'm like, so what did you do with the body, what? And he's like, I hit her. And I'm like, and then I kept asking him, what does it gotta do with you hitting her and now you panic and you hit the body? He wouldn't. So it didn't make sense to you? It wasn't making story. sense to me. How long did this conversation go on before he left? It was pretty brief. It wasn't. It was just him moving around. I'm not sure if he, I don't think he grabbed anything other than he did grab my gun from my purse. And then he just kept saying, I, I need to go, I need to go. And then right before he left, he's like, there's her stuff in the shed. He's, how did he say, say that again? He, did, he said something in regards to there's, her stuff is in the shed. Her stuff is in the shed. And I think it's because I kept telling them, it doesn't make sense, it's like, you're lying to me, it's not. So I feel like he told me that. So I could go see it and say, oh, and it's true. Yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't making sense to me, and I, I think he, <laughs> he was seeing that, it, like, I wasn't bullying me then, like, it felt like, it felt like a movie, like, it just, It wasn't making any sense to me. But when I saw the stuff, I'm like, oh fuck. And he was still there, dude. No, he was years already gone. But he never said what. All he said was he hit her and he panicked. He never said. But it wasn't making any sense to me because I'm like, why would somebody would somebody that do that, especially you, especially him? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Did he say when this happened? <laughs> so he just said. He's just telling the story. He just yeah, he just at the like when he was working that Sunday morning, he didn't give me like a time. In shock. Isabel watched as her husband grabbed a handgun from her purse and left in a panicked rush at about 11.30 Monday morning. 
initially disbelieving that he was capable of so coldly killing and then hiding the body of a young incoming college student, Isabel went to their backyard to check the shed for herself and saw several plastic trash bags containing what appeared to be a young woman's belongings. Reflecting on her police training, she immediately turned Edwin in. Police quietly informed the Sawyer family on Monday that the investigation was changing from a missing persons case to a likely homicide. But it didn't make sense. Nothing about Edwin's story was adding up. If this man had accidentally hit and killed someone in his work patrol vehicle, why would he immediately hide her body and then attend church the next morning and go along with his family to the movies later that night like nothing had happened? Unless he was hiding a much darker truth. And though police would have their answers as they began executing a series of search warrants on Lara's home, workplace, and vehicles late into Monday afternoon, the public knew next to nothing as the Central Oregon Community College security officer embarked on a near 300-mile reign of terror south into the state of California. Police begin pinging Lara's phone repeatedly throughout the day on Monday to see if they could determine his general location and what direction he might be heading. At 12.22, they ping Lara's phone and see that he appears to be heading south, so they expand their area of communication, putting out a bolo alert on his light blue Nissan Altima. But as they begin making contact with Lara's close friends and family that afternoon, they locate his abandoned Nissan at 5.30 p.m., nearly 20 miles north, just about a block from his cousin's house. Lara then convinced his parents to let him borrow their station wagon for a few minutes, and instead took off on the open road on the run with no intention of returning. Once police were granted a search warrant to enter his newly discovered vehicle and the shed behind his home, they discovered a trove of evidence suggesting that Lara's involvement in Kaylee Sawyer's death was no accident at all, but murder. At 6.30 p.m. on Monday evening, police discovered bloody grass and Lara's blood-soaked COCC security uniform stuffed inside the spare tire well in the trunk of his Nissan Altima. About an hour later, around 7.30, while on site searching his home, they found the plastic garbage bags in the couple's backyard shed that Lara's wife Isabel had alerted them to during her initial questioning. Inside, they found a pair of shoes that Kaylee Sawyer had been wearing on Saturday night, a pair of black Just Fab brand cork wedges that were covered in dirt, dust, and another dark substance. They also found a pair of Lara's work boots with what appeared to be blood on them. As police opened another bag, they discovered Sawyer's green purse, and it too appeared to be covered in blood. Along with other belongings that had been inside, police discovered the passport she had been using as her ID the night she was out with friends. But there was something else in that purse, something that stopped responding police in their tracks. Edwin Lara had also stuffed a large, grapefruit-sized, blood-covered rock inside of Kaylee Sawyer's purse, and there were clumps of what appeared to be bloody blonde hair on it. To police, it seemed as though they had just recovered a likely murder weapon. But where was Edwin Lara? And more importantly, what had he done to Kaylee Sawyer? Do you love reading as much as I do, but can't find the time to sit down and actually page through a book? Check out Audible and use our special link in the show notes today to get a 30-day free trial with any audiobook absolutely free. Browse Audible's catalog of thousands of great audiobooks right on your phone and bring the stories directly into your ears. I just recently finished I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer by Michelle McNamara. It follows the true story of the gifted journalist who tragically died while investigating one of the West Coast's most prolific and terrifying serial rapists turned murderers. It has a special introduction by one of my favorite thriller authors, Gillian Flynn, 
written an afterword by the late author's husband, Patton Oswalt. Enjoy fascinating audiobooks while cooking, walking the dog, or investigating true crimes. Each title is narrated by an incredible voice actor who takes you inside the stories and reignites your imagination. Rediscover your love for reading today by visiting audibletrial.com invisible. That's audibletrial.com forward slash I-N-V-I-S-I-B-L-E. Or click the special link in our show notes for your free trial and audiobook today. As police continued piecing together the bloody trail of evidence left behind in Edwin Lara's panicked exit from the city, they found two more exceptionally morbid clues that gave them insight into what may have happened the night Kaylee Sawyer went missing. While searching the Central Oregon Community College campus in the area Kaylee was last seen walking towards by her boyfriend, police came across a grisly scene in a remote gravel parking lot called Area B-12. It was surrounded by tall juniper pine trees and thick sage underbrush. There, police discovered what appeared to be bloody drag marks, leading from the parking lot up a hill and behind a large boulder in the brush. There, they found a significant pooling of blood, but there was no body. For the time, it was another trail gone cold. Edwin Lara had likely moved Kaylee Sawyer's body from the campus, but it wasn't yet clear where and how. But there was another clue in Lara's shed, one that began to make more sense as police continued gathering evidence. He left behind a large black cardboard trifold presentation display that he had created for one of his college classes years before. It was a colorful handmade display that he had created on the infamous railroad killer, Angel Resendez, a serial killer who was suspected in as many as 23 murders in the southern U.S. and Mexico in the 1990s. Lara had pasted news clippings to the board, including a picture of one of Resendez's mugshots and at least one explicit crime scene photo depicting one of his dead victims. The entire board was covered in bright red paint, mock blood spatter, and bloody handprints. Resendez was known as an opportunistic killer and used weapons that were at his disposal when attacking and on at least several occasions, sexually assaulting his victims. But it was one weapon in particular that seemed a direct representation of Edwin Lara's likely path. Resendez had killed multiple women by smashing in their skulls with large rocks. Police knew that Lara had likely already killed once and after discovering the eerie commemoration to a serial killer in his shed, that he was likely to kill again. The clock began ticking in the race to capture Edwin Lara. Police hadn't made any ground in the search for Edwin Lara through Monday evening, but just before 9 p.m., Lara confronted a 19-year-old woman Andrea Mays, who was sitting inside of her gold Volvo 850 outside of the Ross clothing store where she worked in Salem, Oregon. Salem sits nearly 132 miles northwest of Bend, where Kaylee was last seen, so the early cell phone intelligence police were using to track Lara's movement south had been grossly inaccurate. After ditching the vehicle he had taken near his cousin's house, Lara opened Andrea's passenger door and forced his way inside, demanding she drive while holding a gun to her head. He directed her to head south on Interstate 5, and she drove until nearly 11.30 p.m. when he forced her to stop after 85 miles in Cottage Grove, Oregon, after noticing that her car was leaking oil and about to break down. They pulled off at a small motel called the Relax Inn. During this first stretch of the drive, Lara boasted to Andrea that he had killed Kaylee Sawyer, and at one point even showed her pictures of himself in his Central Oregon Community College security uniform, 
claiming that he was a cop who had, quote, turned bad. Once he had checked them into a room for the night, Lara handcuffed the 19-year-old to the bathroom door and placed a sweatshirt over her head while he showered. He then told her to get naked and shower for him while he watched, but she boldly refused, so he physically assaulted her, tearing her away from the bathroom door and breaking the knob in the process. He then forced Andrea to swallow two sleeping pills and pushed her onto the hotel bed, where he climbed on and laid next to her. She would later describe how Lara repeatedly asked her if she was a virgin or if she had ever had sex before, and then he began sucking on her earlobes. But as he progressed through the early stages of sexually assaulting Mays, she quickly came up with a story to subvert the attempted rape. She told Lara that she had recently contracted a sexually transmitted disease from her boyfriend. He was so thrown off by the information that he stopped the assault. But as Lara attempted to settle in for the rest of the evening, he grew increasingly paranoid that police were closing in on their location, so he rousted Mays from the bed and forced her back into the car at 1.30 in the morning, where they drove straight through the night another 197 miles south to a Super 8 motel in Wairika after Andrea's car began stalling out again. As they pulled off Interstate 5, Lara was immediately on the hunt for another carjacking victim and told Andrea he had found his man once he saw 73-year-old area photographer Jack Levy loading camera equipment into his vehicle outside one of the motel rooms just after 5 a.m. Lara forced Andrea out of her car at gunpoint and then approached the elderly man, demanding he give him the keys to his car. But Jack Levy wasn't having it this morning and instead told Lara to move along, that he wasn't going to be giving him his car keys or allowing him to take the vehicle. So in a fit of rage, Lara pointed his handgun at the elderly man, shooting him twice in the abdomen before grabbing Andrea and running over 150 yards to a nearby gas station. The corresponding call for police assistance was the first solid clue they had in determining Edwin Lara's specific whereabouts. 911, what's your emergency? Hi, it's Karen at CHP. Hi. Hey, I just transferred a call to medical at Super 8 Motel. The manager there said there's a gentleman who says he got shot in the stomach. Uh, he's laying down in room 108. 108. All right, Karen, I'll okay. get the info for the guys. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Lara, still dragging 19-year-old Andrea Mays in tow, confronts a family near the gas pumps as they are loading back into their white Honda Accord. It's a 76-year-old grandmother who doesn't speak English and her two teenage grandsons. Lara demands one of the grandsons get into the car and drive them all south, leaving behind the family dog in the grass and their father and grandfather who are still inside the gas station. The grandmother cries frantically from the back seat, screaming aloud as the group heads south on I-5. After repeatedly demanding the two boys tell their grandmother to stop screaming or that he'll shoot her, they plead with Lara to let them go, that they don't speak her native language, so they can't communicate with their grandmother what is happening. Lara asks the boys if they've ever had the urge to kill, and then shares with them that he ran over the 23-year-old in Bend, Oregon, killing her, and that he kidnapped Andrea, who was now riding along with them in the car. After growing tired of the grandmother's cries and the boys' continued pleas for release, he pulls off the road just after 15 miles and lets them out at a roadside rest stop. Another call is made to police confirming they are now hot on the trail of a presumed killer. It's around this time, prior to 6 o'clock in the morning Tuesday, that Edwin Lara decides things are getting too hectic and that police will likely be closing in on him any minute. So he forces Andrea to start a Facebook Live video from her phone, 
so he can share a message with the world. Everybody, um, I just want to say that I apologize for everything I've done. Most likely, I'm going to get caught. And um, sorry about that girl, about that girl in Central Oregon. And I just want to let family members, um, Andrea, that she's fine and she will be fine because uh, so far she's been doing. Uh, what I've been calling you to do, you know, and, and if you guys are wondering uh, if I have done dirty things to her, no, all right, I'm not that kind of guy, you know, I just, I used to kill that other girl, you know, and I regret it, I regret killing her, you know, she's kept screaming, and had to silence her forever. So, you know, like I say, she's still fine. We're driving, and she'll be home pretty soon. I'm sorry to her grandma and her family members, to her boyfriend. You know, I'm sorry for everything that I caused. Okay, and you'll see her pretty soon. Okay, tell the cops that not to shoot us, because if they shoot us, then that's not my fault. Okay, but... Sorry, everybody. Bye. Lara conveniently forgets during the live video that he attempted to sexually assault Andrea Mays just seven hours before in a small rural motel room when he claims that he, quote, didn't do dirty things to her, that he isn't that kind of guy. Police ping Lara's cell phone at 6.18 a.m. just north of Redding, California, an additional 98 miles south of Wairika, where he had shot the elderly man twice in the stomach and carjacked the innocent family. Within minutes, he notices that a police helicopter is tailing them high from above as they continue heading south on I-5. The man who has now shared with five other people that he callously killed Kaylee Sawyer now wants to negotiate his surrender directly with police so he phones 911 to make contact as they observe him high from above, traveling at over 100 miles per hour on the interstate. 911 emergency reporting. Yes, hi, this is Edwin Lara, and I'm the guy on Interstate Interstate 5, going at high speed. I, I know you guys have the chopper on me already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just want to say I am going to turn myself in. Okay, where are you at? Okay, I'm on I-5, uh, I think close to Reading if I'm right. So, you know, I, I am wanted for murder in the state of Oregon. Okay. Edwin, yeah. where are you at right now? Can you stop? I am going to stop once I head Reading. Once I'm in Reading, I'm going to stop. Okay, can you tell me where you are right now? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, oh, let's see. There's a sign right here. 50 miles from Reading. You're 50 miles from Reading. Oh, wait, wait. Corning. Corning. From Corning. Lara doesn't yet realize that when he had Andrea Mays post his message live to her Facebook with the title Murderer on the Loose and Kidnapped, that she had actually set the video to private, so it was never made publicly available. But he still shares with 911 Dispatch that he is not alone in the vehicle, and that the woman riding along with him in the front seat is actually a victim of his crime spree, and not a co-conspirator. Are you by yourself, or? 
No, I have someone with me. I kidnapped her in Oregon. She's innocent. Uh, her name is Andrea. What's your last name? She doesn't know. I'll let you. I'll, I'll let her give her last name. You can call her family, okay? Okay. Just give me a, just give me a second. What's her name? Hello? Yeah, hi. What's your name? Andrea. Andrea, what's your last name? Maze. M-A-E-S. Okay, are you hurt at all, Andrea? No. No? Okay. Can, do you know where you are? Let me talk to Edwin again. Okay. Hello? Yeah, Edwin, um, you're heading southbound on, on 5? Yeah, I'm heading southbound on 5. As dispatch attempts to clarify his exact location so they can stage police units on the ground to detain him, it's worth noting here the assumedly casual nature that his victim, Andrea Mays, refers to him calmly as Ed while handing the phone back. Police have already obtained a surveillance video from the first motel they checked into earlier Monday evening, which showed he and Mays both standing at the check-in window. And because he had a firearm covertly aimed her way during the interaction with front desk staff, she never made a scene or attempted to escape. She acted coolly and calmly, as if not to arouse suspicion and potentially aggravate the self-proclaimed killer into harming someone else. But police don't yet have any of this information, and believe the 19-year-old woman sitting next to him in the car now was a possible accomplice to his crimes. And before he turns himself in to police, Edwin Lara needs to ask them for a favor. But I want to ask you a favor. Uh-huh. So I have asthma. You have asthma? Okay. Yeah, so you tell them not to be too rough on me because, you know, I, I can't really breathe right now. All right, so that's all I wanted to say. Do you, you know, need, I don't want to... Do medical or...? Yeah, well, I I think so. I'm going to need my inhaler. I forgot my inhaler at home. You know, I went all over, all over uh, uh, Salem, Oregon, looking for, for an inhaler, but I guess they don't sell it, you know, behind the counter or out of counter, so. While he is on the phone with 911, Lara actually passes numerous police and state patrol vehicles who fall in line behind him in pursuit. Edwin, how fast are you going? I'm going about 120 miles an You're hour about right 120 now. miles an hour? Yes. Can you slow down? Well, I want to make it there quick. That way I can turn myself in. Well, the officer sees you with it. We just don't want you to speed away from anything. If you can stop and just give yourself in, it'll probably be easier. Well, there's an officer behind me right now. Okay, they see you. We're talking to him. They see you. Yeah, she's seeing me. I think it's a she. She's right behind me. Okay, the officer sees you. And are you able to safely stop? Yeah, I, I can stop, uh, but not right now. I'll stop in Corning. Uh, what's the difference from stopping now in Corning? I just don't want to stop right here in the middle of the road, you know, putting myself in danger and putting everybody else in danger, more in danger, I guess. You know, they won't. They're, they're aware. I'll let them know they won't. But if you can stop safely, they just don't want you to run. They don't think you're going to run or anything. Okay. Yes, um, yes, Edward, yes. do you have any weapons with you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I do have a gun on me. I am not going to flash the gun, so you tell them not to shoot me. Okay. No, I don't want to die. Okay, you stick by your word, though. I'll let them know. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm going to let them know. You know, uh, don't hurt Andrea. You know, she's a nice girl. You know, don't hurt her. I'm, I'm actually calling my family just to say bye to them. So once I'm, once I'm done calling all my family, then I'll, I'll turn myself in. Okay, um, we can get hold of your family if you want. I already called my wife. I called a lot of people already. I am, I am wanted for the death of, uh, 
Kaylee Sawyer at Bend, Oregon. What's the girl's name? Kaylee what? Sawyer. Sawyer? Yes. Edwin Lara continues playing the part of the concerned citizen, who doesn't want anyone to be harmed, most importantly, himself, while surrendering to police. Despite having just shot and nearly killed an elderly man two hours before in Wairika, Lara still claims that Kaylee Sawyer's death was accidental. I just want to say that it was an accident. I, uh, so I worked for Campus Public Safety there, and she was really drunk, and I didn't see her, and I ran her over. Okay. And then... Uh, after that, you know, I, I just, uh, she was still breathing and then she was screaming and I decided to silence her forever. Okay. And I am very remorseful for that and, you know. Okay. Edwin, her, can, Edwin are uh, you able to stop the officers behind you? They don't know if you're running and stuff or, or trying to run from them. So if you can safely stop, they'll have the freeway block and nobody will get hurt if you just Okay, stop, you okay? want me to read the plate for you? Your plate? The, officer, the, 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 the police, police officer's plate? No, 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 you don't need to read the police officer's plate. Okay, because it, I, want her, I want her to just get in front of me if she can. Why do you want her in front of you? She can move, she can move all the track. I'm not, I'm not going to shoot anybody, I promise. I know, but the, you, just, you have to realize they have to take care just for their safety and for your safety uh, okay. as well. Do you understand all that? Right. Yeah, I understand. Okay. All right, so I'm about to get to Corning. I'm like four miles away. Okay. Where are you at now? Can you tell me where you are? <laughs> I am four miles from Corning. Okay. How The girl that's with you, how old is she? Andrea, how old is she? Uh, how old are you? She's 19. 19 years of age? Okay. Yeah. Does she have any weapons or anything? Or? Nah, she doesn't. She doesn't. I, I, I honestly, I did kidnap her. We drove her car, you know, and her car died on us, so I had to borrow somebody else's car. You know, basically that's what it is. Okay. But yeah. Edwin continues in the charade, even using the term borrow to explain away the violent carjacking from earlier in the morning. You know, I'm shaking up. I mean, I'm shaking. I, I, I understand. I don't want to get shot. I mean, okay, I, I will let them know, but you need to make sure you just listen carefully, okay? Okay, and just, just to let you know, I have a bulletproof hat, too. You do, do you, are you wearing it? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, you're not going to try to do anything, right? No, I'm not. Okay. You want me to throw my gun out of the window right now? No, not right now. No, no, no. Don't do that right now. All right. I just want you to stop safely. How can you just give it to Andrea see if she wants to kill me? No, no, no. You don't want to do that to her. And yourself. All right. So yeah, just uh, I'm just gonna call her grandma and apologize, and then I'll stop. You know, right now, let's just kind of worry about you stopping. Okay. Let's just worry about stopping and getting you guys both safe. Okay. All right. Okay, I'll stop. Okay. I'll hang up now. No, no, I'm gonna stay on the line with you. Okay. Okay. As Lara begins to slow the car, he takes one last opportunity to offer up an apology to Kaylee's family, realizing that the call is likely being recorded and that it is most likely his last chance to show some semblance of remorse prior to a future trial. You know, I know, I know this is being recorded and, you know, I just want to say to the family of, of Kaylee that, you know, I am sorry. I am sorry for what I did. 
to her, and in time I will tell them where the body is. You know, I will just, that way she can rest in peace. You know. Do you want to uh, let me know or just have this recorded where it is? No, I, I remember. Okay. So, I mean, hopefully the police officer doesn't shoot me, you know, and I'll, I'll survive, you know. Yeah. Well, but we're not going to let that happen. Like, you just do what you're supposed to do and do what you're told so to do. I left I left a vehicle with a note, you know, and uh, what is that thing called? In Salem, 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 Oregon. Okay. Yeah, in the, what's the mall called? The Ross. Ross. Yeah, there is a Ross in the uh, Lancaster, in Salem. And what is it called? What is the, you know the address for the mall? Oh, the mall. Yeah, it's a, it's a Ross. It was a store. I left a, a station wagon, you know, that I stole from my parents. Uh-huh. Well, I, I was borrowing it. I told them that I was going to borrow it. And so I drove it all the way to Salem, and I parked it right in front of the mall, and there's a note there just in case. Hopefully not, but just in case I die. What uh, kind there's of car was there. the station wagon? Yeah, it's a station wagon. Uh, it registers to uh, my stepfather. Lara confirms the location where he abandoned his parents' station wagon, the vehicle he used to travel from his cousin's house near Bend all the way to Salem where he kidnapped Andrea. As he pulls over to the side of the interstate, Lara is quickly directed to exit the vehicle and walk backwards towards police. A male and female officer work quickly to apprehend him on the side of the busy roadway as cars continually pass by at high rates of speed. But before leaving the vehicle and giving up his last few moments of freedom, Edwin Lara hands the phone over to 19-year-old Andrea Mays to stay on the line with dispatch as he turns himself in. Hello? Yeah, hi, Andrea. Are hi. you okay? You don't need any medical or anything? No. Okay, so Edwin, where's his gun at? Does he have it still Ooh. between his legs? Um, I don't know. Can you see it? He said he had it between his legs. Is he stopping? Yeah. He is stopping? Mm-hmm. Okay, make sure your hands are up too and stuff. I know you're on the phone right now, but just hold your hand up so they can see your hands too. Okay. I'm going to stay on the line with you until the officers get there, okay? And you're going to be okay. Andrea? Mm -hmm. Does Edwin have, does he have his hands up? Yeah. He does have his hands up? Okay. Just tell him to make sure that the officers... Hey, who are you? Tell him I can't. He can't, he said he can't hear me. Do I get out or do I? Hey, tell him we're letting the office know that he can't hear. He, he's already walking towards them. He's walking towards them. Tell him to make sure he holds his hands up. Yeah, he is. He is. Tell him to turn around and don't, don't walk towards them. He can walk backwards towards them. I can't, he's too far. Okay. And if you want to do the same, once he gets out and stuff, just uh-huh. turn around and back up, walk backwards towards him. Don't walk facing him. Okay. Do I stay on the line with you? I'll, once you get out, I'll go ahead and disconnect the line. Once you get out, can you see, do they have him in custody already? Um, they're putting the cuffs on him right now. Putting the cuffs on him? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to hang up and just get out and you walk backwards towards him with your hands up, okay? Okay. Okay, Andrea, it's going to be okay. Uh, she told me to stay in the oh, car. Oh, she told you to stay in the car? Okay, then yeah. whatever instructions they give you, then do that. 
Edwin Lara and Andrea Mays were both arrested without incident just after 7 o'clock in the morning on July 26, 2016. Though they were both initially charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and carjacking burglary, police eventually released Mays from jail after nearly 12 hours after it was determined she was actually one of Lara's victims. Her family was thankful she was returned home safely and understood the complexity of the investigation in its earliest stages. Just getting ready to leave in the car and a guy jumped in, had a gun, and abducted her. May's great uncle, Jerry Miranda, says he knew something was wrong when she didn't come home that night. We were worried about her. We were, this is completely out of her character. It's not her at all. Her family says a stranger held her at gunpoint, then took Andrea and her car on his crime spree through California. I never knew this guy. I've never heard of him. I know a lot of people here. I've never heard of him either. It's a crazy thing. It, it, could, it could, could have been Andre also. You know, I know you saw pictures of the girl that was killed and then my great niece. Uh, boy, they look a lot alike. It could have ended up very different. We're very glad, grateful. Police questioned Lara just after 1 p.m. on Tuesday, the very day of his arrest. They got him to immediately admit to killing Kaylee Sawyer and to reveal precisely where he hid her body. They also got him to admit that her death was no accident at all, and that he never did hit her with his COCC patrol vehicle. And while we have obtained Lara's original interrogation and confession, we're opting not to air it now, because police did not appropriately Mirandize him and halt the interview after he'd requested an attorney be present. As the DA was later preparing Lara's case for trial, a judge ruled that the police interrogation and confession was not admissible as evidence in court as it was collected in direct violation of Edwin Lara's rights. Lara initially pled not guilty to the charge that he murdered Kaylee Sawyer, but opted to abruptly change his position and plead guilty on January 23, 2018, as part of a plea agreement with the prosecution that secured him a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole in exchange for taking consideration of the death penalty off the table. Deschutes County DA John Hummel addressed the public that very afternoon, revealing for the very first time the grisly details of Kaylee Sawyer's final moments alive before Edwin Lara so callously murdered her in cold blood. Okay, uh, thank you for coming. I'm John Hummel, Deschutes County District Attorney. On July 24th, 2016, Edwin Lara kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and murdered 23-year-old Kaylee Sawyer on the Ben campus of Central Oregon Community College. He worked there as a public safety officer. Today, we don't celebrate the end of this tragedy because it's not over for Kaylee's family. Today, though, we do take solace in knowing that Kaylee's killer was brought to justice. On July 23rd, at 2 p.m., Edwin Lara started his public safety officer shift on the campus. He was scheduled to work until 2.30 in the morning. After he arrived at work, he checked out a patrol vehicle, a white 2012 Ford Escape SUV, with a fixed partition between the front and back seats. The partition had a clear plexiglass window at the top. The window extends from the front seat backs to the ceiling of the car. The back doors of the vehicle only open from the outside. It was designed to hold and transport people who are in custody. The vehicle is referred to as a cage car. Laura encountered Kaylee shortly after her final text. 
He was in his COCC cage car and he saw Kaylee walking on foot on the campus. He stopped his car and forced her into the back seat. He called her a degrading name that I won't repeat now. Laura drove Kaylee to one of the uppermost secluded parking lots on campus. He dragged Kaylee out of his patrol car, took her into an even more wooded area away from that parking lot, and he sexually assaulted her. He then picked up a boulder and smashed it into her head, killing her. Laura then left work at 2 a.m. telling his coworker he was going home because he was tired. He was actually going home to dispose of Kaylee's body. He first dumped her body in a small ravine within Redmond city limits. Later on the 24th, he moved Kaylee to an isolated spot off of the McKenzie Highway between Redmond and Sisters. Edwin Laura's story about hitting Kaylee with his car was false. He did not accidentally hit her with his car. He abducted her for the purpose of sexually assaulting her. The defendant told his kidnapped victims that he had, quote, the urge to kill, end quote. He refused to release his original hostage and noted that she was, quote, his ticket to freedom. Laura drove the family's vehicle at times exceeding speeds of 120 miles an hour. While driving, Laura called the COCC Public Safety Office and he spoke to his supervisor. He told the supervisor to check a particular parking lot. Laura identified it as a crime scene. The supervisor asked the defendant where Kaylee was and he replied, she was screaming, so I put her in the car. The defendant went on to explain that because she was screaming, I killed her. The autopsy revealed that Kaylee died as a result of blunt force trauma to her head. Her injuries further indicate that she fought for her life. This was an investigation the likes of which Deschutes County has never seen. It started as a missing persons case. Then it became a case with a murder that occurred in one location, a body being moved to two different locations, a kidnapping in a county on the other side of the Cascade Mountains, followed by an attempted murder in California, a carjacking in California, and a high-speed chase. Kaylee Sawyer's father, Jamie, and stepmother, Crystal, were both instrumental in shaping new legislation to restrict the type of equipment, uniforms, and authority that college campus security officers have access to in the state of Oregon. Senate Bill 576, or Kaylee's Law, was signed into legislation on May 25, 2019, and restricts campus security officers from mimicking the role or function of trained law enforcement personnel. The bill also requires stricter background in psychological checks and effectively bans the use of police-style light bars, restrictive cage dividers, and mandates the integration of GPS and camera systems to help better monitor those security personnel tasked with keeping college and university campuses safe. Kaylee's stepmother, Crystal, testified repeatedly to the law's importance to preventing future murders like that which took the life of her beloved stepdaughter. I wanted to give you a taste of something that is so vastly important today, and I want you to think of Kaylee as if she was your daughter, your niece, or even your stepdaughter. As we go forward with this bill, I want you to picture Jamie and I as we continue to fight for our girl. It's too late for Kaylee now. She lost her fight. But I ask you to be her hero that she was looking for. 
and to be the hero for the future with these changes. I'm going to leave you with this, the very last Mother's Day card that Kaylee handmade me on May 8th, 2016, two months before her murder. It says, Happy Mother's Day, Crystal. You have been one of my biggest supporters since day one. It has taken me a good 14 years of my life to come to that conclusion, yet never once have you faltered in your love for me. I am so thankful that I have you in my life. I am so thankful that you have given me two of the smartest, silliest, most adorable little brothers a big sister could ever ask for. I am so thankful you've supplied my dad with the love and happiness only a woman like you could provide. We have fought like siblings, and at times, my attitude would be enough to make a lot of people run out the door screaming. However, I am glad those days are past, and I couldn't be more excited for the friendship that will develop between us in the years to come. I idolize you and appreciate you more than you will ever understand. Thank you for signing up to be my mom. I love you endlessly. federal judge sentenced Edwin Lara to a second life sentence in federal prison for the other charges levied during his multi-state crime spree, effectively placing a quote, metaphorical lock on his prison cell door to ensure he never sees the light of day again. host of the California Dreaming Podcast, a true crime show that delves into the darker side of California. Join me each week as we take a tour of the beautiful beaches, majestic mountain ranges, expansive deserts, and soaring redwoods to discover some of the most chilling, fascinating, and depraved criminal acts that have taken place across the state. You can find California Dreaming on all of your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.orbitaljigsaw.com and click on the show's link to find hours and hours of true crime tales from the Golden State. Thank you and sweet dreams. <laughs>